James Edcock. I'm here with uh, Darby, and uh, we are on podcast number three. Darby, can you believe that? Number three. Number three. So last week, Darby, we left off with a man of infirmity for 38 years. He's healed physically, but we're sort of left with the question of was he healed spiritually? And I think we kind of left off last week's podcast was people can often be healed physically, say a broken arm, um, cancer, some, some, something, sometimes even extreme things, but that doesn't always equate that they receive Christ as their savior. Right. And I think that's where John's coming in at with Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, well, I've been physically born, but I don't know if I need spiritually reborn. And I think he does it with the woman at the well, where he says, let me give you identity. It's not a mountain, it's not a city, it's, it's, it's a person, it's me. And we come to the man in infirmity for 38 years and we're just like, we don't know. And that's, right. I guess that's one of the sad things about this passage in John chapter five, we just don't know. Um, people can point one way or the other, they may be able to argue one way or the other, but we just really don't know. Right. So that's where we left off, and so we come into John chapter six today. Yes. So John chapter six is, is one of the unique chapters because John chapter six is included in all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so not, not every aspect, but the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the stories each of the gospel writers share. Mm -hmm. And so we have to gather things from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke to understand everything that John is saying because John is not equating everything. John's about conflict. So Matthew's about words. Mark is about works. Luke is about chronology. But John's about conflict. Mm -hmm. So we're coming to the Sea of Galilee experience, which is the major lake in the Middle East. Um, that we got to go see. Yes, it was. Very neat. I was surprised of all the black junk that was in it when we were swimming in it. Yes, they said <laughs> the last time uh, there was so much water that it came up like, like what? I'm going to totally guess, but five feet more than that. Yeah, we're talking about total depth of the lake, five feet. It's, that's a massive amount of water. Yes. Um, but our, it kept coming up of like, it, I guess it was like, it, you know, the water line would have been way out there and it took up so much more space. Like the water rose so much. So there was a lot of debris in there at the time. Well, our active rabbi for the two weeks said he had never seen it this this full. Yeah, yep. And so that was, I guess we'd never seen it. That's my first time seeing it, so I, I've never seen it lower. Yeah. So I've seen it the fullest. So if I, if I, Lord ever allows me to go back and I see it differently, I may have a different aspect, but uh, it was a beautiful lake. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different in the Middle East because in America, it seems like we build a cottage around lakes houses, you know, they can become very expensive. They're, they're considered water properties. They don't do that in the Middle East. It's not part of their culture. Right. So we stayed at a hotel that was on the Sea of Galilee, but there were there was no houses. Right. Did, you, did you notice that? I think I did. I like there really wasn't any I you know, I think in retrospect I did. Yeah. It was, just, it was so peaceful. It was so untouched. Yeah, and even when we went to the uh, Mount of Beatitudes, there was a family down there and they were doing their prayers for the morning. Um, but it was, it was weird because people kind of stayed in the public areas, but they didn't, they're not just a different culture, just a yeah. different culture. And it was, it was unique to see. It was, it was, the museum was cool. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where this is at, the Sea of Galilee. And it's a major portion of Jesus ministry, but it drives us to an interesting question because I think in my, and this is just my opinion. I think the disciples were getting a little ahead of themselves. Yeah. 
they had a day where they went out preaching. Luke says they went out preaching, healing, and casting out demons. And that was without Jesus at that time? Right. He sent them out two by two. Right. So they're coming back and they're telling Jesus, man, you won't believe what I did. You won't believe how I got to preach. You won't believe who I got to heal. You won't believe what demons I got to cast out. It's like, wow, man, that's good. And so Jesus is listening to this as the disciples are coming in two by two. Mm -hmm. And he says in Mark, again, we're piecing this together. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on the feeding of the 5,000. He says, hey, let's, let's come and let's talk about this. Let's rest a little bit. Again, it's kind of a, rab a rabbinic type way of doing things. Come, let's go. Yeah. And Jesus says, come, let's go. So they go to this mountain area, which is in Aseda. And so as the guys are talking, and I can just see them like, man, you won't believe what I did. You won't believe what I did. You won't believe what I did. I'm not saying bad. I'm just saying I'm wondering if they forgot who gave them the power to do that stuff. That's that's where I'm kind of, my logic is kind of running into is like, Sometimes I think we, we say, man, we had great service on Sunday. Or God gave us a great service on Sunday. Yeah. Or that song blessed my heart. Okay. Or maybe Darby, because you're a singer, you're, you're, you, know, you play different instruments. Someone comes, man, Darby, you blessed me today. And you, and you just kind of take that blessing upon yourself. I'm not saying that's what you do. Just use right. an example. And we don't, sometimes we don't throw that credit back to God for the gift that he gave us. The Absolutely. gift of playing the song or singing the song, playing the instruments. And I think that can happen in preaching. Oh man, pastor, that message touched. Well, that was not, that was the Lord doing that. And I think sometimes we kind of come into this, like the disciples look at me. Even more of, you know, it, sometimes it, you know, we, that can be such an easy thing, but I forget where I heard this from, but I, I, I don't know if we were talking about it or Mal and I were talking about it, but they were saying like, if, are, the question was, are you holding on to the blessing or are you holding on to the blesser? And I think, you know, it's so easy too of just like, you take your, you know, the credit. And I think even on our, you know, on our best days, we're like, no, I don't, I, you know, I was throwing it back to God and stuff. But I think even a, a better way to even say that too is just the question is, are you holding on to the blessing that God has blessed you with? Or are you going to hold on to, to the blesser and hold on to him? And if I remember, I think that was our rabbi in action. I think, students, yeah. I think it was George who, who, who said, are you hanging on to the blessing or the blesser? And that was huge. Yeah. That's a huge statement. And just for some of our, our, you know, anyone listening, when you say rabbi, you know, you say that's a very rabbinic way of just go saying, come, let's go. Can you explain that a little bit more of just, would it just, that, just that involve a lot of trust there? The idea was when Jewish people found a rabbi to follow, their goal was to become that rabbi. So what that rabbi did, how that rabbi spoke, how that rabbi was with people, that's what they wanted to become. Yeah. So when the disciples are following Jesus as their rabbi, they are, their goal is to become everything that Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Personality and structure of how he lived his life, how he was with people. So our two-week experience in Israel, we were given a type of experience with George, who's American. Well, he's Dutch American, mm -hmm. but he became kind of in a sense, our rabbi for two weeks. So whatever he did, we tried to do. So we went on hikes. Mm -hmm. We sat down and we listened to our rabbi teach us different lessons from a biblical point of view, mostly from an Old Testament point of view, from, from the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Jesus is doing the same thing, and he's but Jesus also gives him opportunity to go out 
go do what you've seen in me. So that's what Luke is talking about. He sends them out two by two. And so they've gone out to do ministry on their own, two by two, preaching, casting out demons and healing. And now they're coming back and reporting on this. And it's almost like Jesus has, has given the lesson. They went out and did the test. Now they're coming back for the review. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of see the, 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 the rabbi's kind of moment here. On, on the mount near Bethsaida. And again, we don't know exactly where they're sitting. We can't point directly on a map and say, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's interesting because today with Google Earth and GPS and all these things we have, we can say, well, I was here and we can pinpoint the exact point. They didn't have that. Right. And the landscape has changed so much that what we do is we take liberty in guessing this is the approximate area. So when we, were, when we set the Mount of Beatitudes and Pastor Joel began to quote the Beatitudes sermon. Mm -hmm. And just for our listeners, can you explain what that, which one that is? Uh, Matthew 5. Yes. Um, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Pastor Joel quoted from memory, which was awesome. But where we sat was a rocky area. And it's, okay, this is a general area where the Beatitudes may have taken place. Right. But there's a, there was a church behind us that we, didn't, we couldn't see. And that's where many like the Greek Orthodox, I'm not sure if it was the Greek Orthodox or if it was a Jewish Orthodox or if it was Roman Catholic. I don't know what church it was, but they have dedicated the church on that spot as that's where the Beatitudes was at. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a guessing game, yeah. but we were in the general proximity where Jesus was at in Bethsaida as well as the Beatitudes sermon right. that Matthew 5 included. So, you know, we, we look at this and, and we, we think about these red these rabbi moments and that's why we follow Jesus in, in the sense of we're trying to become who he is mm -hmm. so Paul would say be followers of Christ as dear children Christ, uh, Paul would also in his own way say follow me as I follow Christ as I am with Christ follow me and I think Jesus is letting these guys talk but as they're talking his eyes look up and he sees a crowd beginning to and this is where more healing takes place. And so none of the gospel is going to detail about a specific person, a specific family. They just said Jesus is healing the sick. So we don't know what's happening, but people are excited about it. And so this becomes an issue because this becomes kind of like another test for the disciples. You've been out on your own. You come reported to me. Now Jesus is doing all this teaching and this healing. And he looks at Philip and he says, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip, Philip takes Jesus' question. And it's so easy to do. And he turns it into a human solving issue right. rather than a spiritual miracle that only Jesus can do. Yeah. And we do this too, Darby. And, it, and, it, and there's many examples we could use about this that, God wants to use you to teach a class. God wants to use you to reach your neighbor. God wants to use you to do X, Y, Z, whatever that is. And we find a human reason why it's not possible. Mm -hmm. And for Philip, it was not even 200 days working salary, 200 denarii. Yeah. is sufficient to buy bread for this amount of people. Can we break that down just for a second of what, and, and maybe maybe you don't know it, but what 200 denarii was if we if we can we can we can move past that but just I know sometimes we read these things in the Bible where 
we're like, oh, you know, we, we don't realize how how weighty certain things are because it's not in uh, the context that we have or right. our oral culture. It's not in dollars. Okay. You know, it's not, we, we hear denarii and we were like, okay, what is that, right? Yeah. But, so there's a little bit of study I did on that. I didn't do a lot, but basically 200 denarii equal 200 days wages. So mm -hmm. it's one denarii for one day's wage. Yeah. So it, let's, let's make it equivalent to, to us today. Let's just say, let's just say somebody makes, you know, they work eight hour shift and let's just make this easy. So uh, $10 an hour, I know that's a low income right now, but that's $80 a day. So you take 80 times 200, that'd be the equivalent of what that could be today. Right. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a denarii. Philip's saying, listen, we could work every day whatever for, for, for a denarii mm -hmm. or for whatever our wage is right. it's still not sufficient and I think Jesus is like because he already knew what he was going to do he already knew he was going to feed these people and Philip is basically saying for the, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong but it's saying like, like Jesus this is impossible yeah and I remind you what this day has been they have preached they have healed the sick they have cast out they have done things that have been impossible and now he's coming, and because Jesus has approached it differently. Here are 5,000 men, the Bible says. They didn't count women and children in this day. I didn't know that. But I don't know about you guys, but this Sunday school story, I always thought it was just 5,000 people, but that was a new piece of information. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that. And it's, I don't know why, but here's another thing. They only counted men who were eligible to be married. Really? So you could be a 14, 15-year-old boy, 20-year-old boy, I don't know exactly what the legal age then was of marrying. So, but if you weren't within that legal age of married, you weren't counted as that number. So this is 5,000 eligible men who were either married or eligible to be married. Gotcha. So that's why we're saying the number 15, 20,000 could be there. Yeah. Women, children. So Jesus is there and he is offering this to, Philip just doesn't get it. So there, Andrew comes in. Again, picking up a different piece from a different gospel. He said, here's this boy, he has a couple fish and a couple of loaves. But what is that among so many? And again, saying, Jesus, here's this, here's my offering, but what is this among so many? Mm -hmm. And so now we're, we're not looking, Philip looked at the impossibility of it, but Andrew under-evaluated under it. Sometimes people come and they're like, well, I don't have much to offer to God. No, what you have to offer is amazing. Yeah. What you have to offer is awesome in God's eyes. And it's like, I can take a life that's available and use it much more than a life that's not available. Absolutely. And so Andrew does this. Jesus does this miracle. And what we have is two fishes, five loaves, 12 baskets remain. So my question yesterday was, why, why do they include two fish, five loaves, 12 baskets? I mean, is it just numbers? Is it just here? Here's what Jesus did. This amazing two loaves, or excuse me, two fish, by the way, sardine size. Two biscuits, basically flat, you know, kind of loaves of bread. You think they would have been small? Oh, I think this is a this is a little boy's lunch. Mm. So we're not talking about we're not talking about grown grown man here. We're talking about I, I, I'm I'm thinking little like biscuit size. Wow. And I'm thinking like sardines. You know, we're not. I, I've always wondered. <clears throat> excuse me. I've always wondered what he told his mom when he came home with twelve baskets. I don't know who got the twelve baskets. I don't know any of that. You know, I'm just. I'm kind of throwing a little you're, you're humor saying, into yeah. it, yeah. but hey, mom went out with five loaves that you gave me and two little fish. Look, now I got twelve baskets worth of fish and 
I wonder what that what that conversation would have been. Yes, <laughs> right. and and things, but why? why, why, why this? And again, we're just going to throw out speculation here. Sure. Speculate. There are five books in the Torah. Jesus said, "I'm the bread of life." So if bread is there and Jesus is the bread of life and the word is considered bread, is it possible the five represents the five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Mm -hmm. Jesus said that he didn't come to omit the law, he came to fulfill the law. Right. What was the law written on? Two tablets. So we have the five loaves, Jesus is the bread of life, the Torah, mm -hmm. five books. We have Jesus is come to fulfill the law, two fish, two tablets with the commandments written on them. And then we have Israel being divided by 12 tribes, which we have 12 baskets left over. Again, speculation, right. but, it's a, but it's a piece of information that, that I think would be jumped on by Jewish rabbis Absolutely. that are, G, are believers in Jesus. And something, again, rabbinic way of, of teaching, of just of, of how we're approaching the text. Again, you know, you might kind of hear that and some of you know, that might be like, I would have never gotten there. That, you know, that sounds so foreign to me. But again, these are questions that that we want to encourage of uh, that there are pieces here and you know sometimes i just think it's so easy to be like well that's not how i was taught and right. for me even like the the small fish i'm like well my bible teacher showed me the very large fish when i grew up and so that doesn't sound right yeah. but again these are questions that we want to we want to hash these out we want to chew on them together and i think something that was really refreshing that we, when we went to to israel with george so often, and, and maybe some of you guys have heard this too, of some of uh, the people who teach you are preaching. Uh, it's just super healthy when they, they say things like, you know, this is just my speculation. I think, you know, just saying my my observation and just saying it's, I just think it's so so healthy to say, uh, yeah. could it be possible that this could happen? Absolutely. Right. And George was great at saying, I'm laying this down. You pick it up. Yes, that's right. You okay. lay it down, you can pick it up. Yeah. And, and I, I love that statement. And Maybe years down the road, I'll steal it and claim it for my own. But uh, George, did, George did it, and he did a great job. But it kind of leads us to this kind of final idea. And why, after this huge day of preaching, okay, I sound demons healing, and then Jesus talking to him, reviewing. And the Bible says that the people wanted to make Jesus king, and Jesus knew this. Mm -hmm. So he, he intentionally put the disciples in the boat. Mark, Luke or excuse me, Matthew and Mark intentionally say he compelled. He forced the disciples into the boat. Now, when this was being taught, when we were on the Sea of Galilee, this is where the rabbi said Jesus was ticked off. Now that took me by surprise. I've never pictured Jesus ticked off. I don't know if you have, I haven't. I see this patience, I see this. Now, I get it. I get the cords in the temple. Yes, he was ticked off then. But i never seen him ticked off with the disciples. Let me be more specific. Yeah. And it, but it made sense. And as I was studying this, it kind of clicked because here they had this great day, preaching, casting out demons, healing. Look what I did. Look what I did. Now they passed out the food for the 5,000. Man, look what we're doing. Look how important we are. And now the people want to make him king. And can't you just see like Judah saying, oh, I can be your treasurer. I'll be your secretary of money. Can't you see Peter just saying, I'll be your vice president. James and John saying, I'll be your right hand, left hand man. And it's all about them and their power and their position. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. Get in the boat. Yeah. And we can't figure out why get in the boat. Because Jesus knew a storm was coming. Mm -hmm. And the storm was going to empty them of themselves. 
so that they can only focus on Jesus and what Jesus can do. So we have this beautiful scene. Jesus is praying on the mountain. The disciples, by the way, from Bethsaida to Capernaum from the lake is four miles. It's not a huge stretch. But they start in the evening if we follow the pattern of all the Gospels. And it's 4 a.m. It's the fourth watch. So there are four watches. Romans had 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 3, 3 to 6, all starting there. And as a result, they're in the fourth watch. They're somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. Most people project 4 a.m. in the morning. So it's dark. Jesus is praying. He sees them rowing but not getting anywhere according to the Gospels. So he begins to come down and begins to walk on the water. Other Gospels said he was going to walk by them. But here, get this story. They said, the disciples, look, I remind you, and this is just a question I have. This is just speculation on my part. How do they not know it's not Jesus? Because they say it's a ghost. And, and two of the Gospels say they assumed it was a ghost. Yeah. Why? And I wonder if John is relating again back to, to the Exodus story, to Genesis, and light or the darkness did not comprehend the light. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if Jesus coming down off the mountain, he's walking on the water, and he is the only light on that water. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, these guys have intimately dealt with Jesus' life. Right. They know him. They know what he looks like, but on the water, there's something different. He's a ghost. And he was going to walk by him, and they, he gets into the boat, and John says they immediately got there. Others, gospel said, they, they, they were in great wonder of Jesus. And now for the first time, yeah. it's all about him. And I think that's where Jesus wanted to get him. So someone asked, why did he get him on the boat? Why did he force him on the boat? I think he wanted to let them know, guys, it's about me. Yes, I'm going to use you to do great things. Yes, you're going, to, you're going to experience things that are out of this world. But don't ever forget, it's because of me. And how often, I mean, do, does that happen in our lives? And, you know, I, I always struggle with the question of, and I, I you know, we work with, um, any, I was going to say kids, but really anybody, this is a question of, I run into friends. It's like, well, I, like this, this terrible thing happened in my life. This storm happened in my, my, my life. Why? Why would God do that to me? Why would, and I always, what I was always taught, I, it's just that God allowed that stuff to happen because he knew the storm was coming. He knew this was going to be coming. And you, you can kind of jump in and, and kind of steer anyway, but he knew the storm was coming and maybe I needed a perspective switch or he knew that whatever, it's always for the, the good of us and for the best, best for us. One, as I throw out a warning, like if you're talking to me and we're one-on-one -on -one privately talking and, and you share with me a storm in your life, mm -hmm. I cannot look at you and say, well, I would have handled that better. Yeah. I would have, I would have trusted God. We don't know what we would have done in the, in the storm. That's the reason why your storm didn't come to my life. Yeah. That was your storm. And we have to recognize God knows what people need. That's going to bring them to, there's some very difficult things people go through. Oh yeah. We have, we have things people are going through in our church. that is very difficult, Yeah. but that doesn't mean God's not present. That doesn't mean God's not there. It just means sometimes I got to refocus on who Jesus is, right. what Jesus wants to do, how he wants to accomplish this. It's, it's a difficult question to answer in the time that we have, but I, I would come just back to the fact of this, that I wonder if sometimes our lives get a little out of whack like the disciples possibly did. Yeah. 
that Jesus uses different things to remind us, hey, don't forget it's about me. Right. So even in, even if it's something horrible somebody goes through, maybe Jesus did that bring him. I'll give you I'll give you one example as we come to a close here. So there was an evangelist by the name of Steve Pettit whose wife had a form of cancer. And it broke their heart. They prayed and prayed, God would take this cancer away, and God didn't take the cancer away. But in the process, and she's in remission today, but in the process, they would have never met the doctors, the nurses, and the other families waiting in the waiting room that were going through the exact same thing. They wouldn't have been able to share Jesus with those people if it wasn't for this particular storm. So when we make it about Jesus, it doesn't take the pain away. It doesn't take the agony away. But sometimes it takes the edge off knowing that God's put me in a position that he has chosen only for me to reach people only maybe I can reach. Absolutely. And I, and I just think that's something that maybe we, we think about for the following week as well as what are some things in our life that God has used as storms, we would call storms, that when we, now that we look back and say, oh, maybe that's why God did that, yeah. that his power was revealed, that Jesus was revealed through me in that situation. And I think it's a perfect point, again, too, of just, you know, something that we mentioned last week of, you know, we said the Bible was written to, it, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And, and in the weeks to come, we can even, we'll, we'll dive deeper into what that means. But even just for this story, again, I just think it's a perfect imagery of the story that's happening, Jesus coming, walking on the water, water they can't. They can't quite recognize him. They can't see him through the storm. And how often, again, written for us today, yeah. of just how often are we in a storm that we just we we don't see Jesus quite quite as clearly as what we have we would have been if we weren't in a storm. And and again, the whole point of everything that we learn these the Bible story, all of it, is just to get our eyes fixed on Jesus and to get him to know get to know him better. John writing. John's the last of the eyewitness, of the disciples. Mm -hmm. So he's writing this and knowing who he's writing to. Mm -hmm. And people would understand this because they, they, they know the Sea of Galilee. Mm -hmm. So he, writ, he wrote two people who understood the situation, who understood the history, who understood the culture. Right. But it was written for us who do not live in there, who do not may have never seen the Sea of Galilee outside of pictures on Google. And, but we have never experienced this. And so when we say written to, that's John's audience. Right. Written for, that's the audience to come. And so that's the beauty of this. And so that's just, that's where we've been. That's where we're going. And we'll conclude this series this coming Sunday with John chapter 7. Right. We hope you guys have a great day. Thanks for being here. And uh, we're just excited to keep, um, keep hashing things out on, on Monday mornings. Yeah, thank you.